Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you. It's a real joy. I think I've preached um, at St. Barnabas once before, in fact, at your evening gathering several years ago. And uh, it's just always nice to be invited back somewhere, isn't it? I mean, you just never know what will, what will happen. So, you know, that's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed to be, uh, to be with you. If you've got a, um, a Bible with you, I think I believe it will be on the screen as well. As Anne has mentioned, we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6. Now, because Anne um, wanted me to speak on this passage, and I wasn't able to come last week, the really um, uh, smart kind of well, you know, people equipped with um, good memories and who were here last week may remember that Anne, and, or was it Anne or someone, James spoke on the second half of this uh, passage, this chapter last week. So with me today, you've got the first half of the, the chapter, 1 Corinthians 6. So I'm going to read it uh, to us now. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute among believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, I don't know if any of you had any, felt any awkward moments when I was reading that passage. Any moments where you had a little bit of a wince? Or like, oh, that's a bit sharp. Um, glad I'm not preaching on this. I mean, I can't feel I'm glad I'm not preaching on this passage, but you might have felt I'm glad I'm not preaching on this uh, passage. Uh, in this series that you're doing on sharing life, on lots of different aspects of life in our community together. And uh, Anne's asked me, as she said, to speak on identity and sexuality this morning. I'll say a little bit more about why me, why am I speaking on this passage? Because you might think, well, that's quite a challenging passage. No wonder Anne brought in a guest preacher. <laughs> but I know, I know your vicar is a woman of great courage and uh, boldness, isn't she? You're very lucky to have her, by the way. Um, uh, she's a woman of great courage. She's, she does have a particular reason for getting me to do, do this passage. But the other thing, before I sort of talk about the sexuality side of it, uh, I, the, the thing I sort of couldn't pass by is the opening part of the passage, even before it talks about these list of sins towards the end, 
where Paul is writing to a setting where the believers in Corinth were in some very heated and bitter disputes with one another, even to the point where they had been taking themselves, taking one another to court over their disputes. Now, you may well have noticed that when it comes to the question of sexuality, um, uh, has anyone noticed that this is just a teensy-weensy little bit controversial? Is, any, you know, is anyone awake this morning? Anyone human this morning? Yeah, we know that that subject is very uh, heavily disputed and controversial. I mean, there was a time in our society when the church was seen as kind of, you know, outdated, irrelevant, and quite prudish when it comes to sexuality. I don't know why I'm gesturing on that side of the room. There was obviously something about you, the look of you, outdated, <laughs> prudish, you know. But don't worry, I'm going to move over to that side in a moment. Uh, you know, like that, that was how, it, when it came to the, the Christian ethic of sex is for marriage between a woman and a man, lifelong committed, you know, opposite sex marriage, that used to be seen as a bit outdated and a bit prudish and a bit, that's a bit sad and pathetic, but all right, if that's what you think. You know, that, a bit irrelevant, really. Nowadays, to hold on to that Christian sexual ethic that marriage is a good gift, but it's a, a, sex is a good gift, but it's a gift between a woman and a man in lifelong committed relationship. To hold on to that view nowadays is seen not so much as outdated and prudish, but as actually dangerous, unfair, un, unjust. Don't you wish, don't you miss being just outdated and prudish? You know, like, it was like, that was actually a little bit preferable. We might have been weird but now we're actively dangerous and, you know, sort of perpetrators of real injustice if we hold on to that view these days. Now, I'm aware, of course, within this room right now, there may indeed be a range of views on this, on this subject. So I'm not seeking to assume that you all will think what I think, although I am um, coming from the, the, that classic Christian view of sex is for marriage between a woman and a man. Um, but, but what we see in Corinth in the beginning of this chapter is precisely a situation where Christians had become so embroiled in their disputes that they were taking one another to court. And Paul's rebuke to them is, don't you know that we will judge angels, verse 3, how much more the things of this life. If you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? When there is dispute between believers as there is very much in this whole area of sexuality, Paul's solution, he says, he says, is there nobody among you wise enough? Boy, do we need wisdom in this area. We all need wisdom. We need other things as well. Of course, we need compassion. We need kindness. But, but one of the key needs that we have is for wisdom. So that's something perhaps particularly to pray for in this area. But I said I would tell you a little bit about why am I talking about this, this subject. And the reason is particularly that I've got a kind of quite a personal journey in the area of identity 
and sexuality. When I was about 16 years old, I had, um, short, it was fairly shortly after I had become a Christian, um, I started to realise that I was gay. I was attracted to, you know, to other guys. And you know how it you know, works when you're that sort of age. Um, you know, people are talking about, you know, or especially blokes, you know, boys tend to say, oh, have you seen such and such a girl? You know, she's, she's terribly attractive, isn't she? <laughs> that might not have been the, you know, the language that we used in, Bra- in Bracknell. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, and I, I, remember, I remember a moment when a, uh, one of my mates was saying, such and such a girl, she's very attractive. And I was sort of like looking deeply into his eyes. <laughs> think and realising that what he felt for her, I sort of felt for him. I was like, oh, that's a bit of a penny drop moment. I was probably a bit slow on the uptake, but penny drop moment. And so I realised, well, that means I'm gay. That's the word for that, isn't it? Simple, you know, that, that I'm attracted to guys, not to girls, so I'm, so I'm gay. Now, I was in a church at that time that was, um, uh, you know, like this church, uh, uh, it was a, a church that sought really to base what it taught on the Bible, and, so, and it was a, a church for young people, so sex was important in the agenda and, you know, an important topic for, for our teaching. So the teaching I received in that church was, sex is good, but sex is a gift for marriage between a woman and a man, and therefore you need to wait for marriage. So sex is good, but it's for a specific location, as it were, or context. And therefore, if you're not in that context, you need to wait for marriage. And that was kind of like a good start. It was like kind of a good step in the right direction. I'm really grateful that I received that teaching because it meant that right from the beginning, as I was becoming aware of my sexuality, I was in this environment where I was being kind of encouraged. Don't just act on your feelings. You know, it's not like your feelings are all wrong, but you don't just go acting on however you feel, but work through kind of like, what, why has God given us this gift of sex in the, in the first place? The, the slight downside of that teaching was, as I started to realise, well, I'm clearly not attracted to women, but uh, so marriage is not going to be an option for me. Obviously, this is long before same-sex marriage. Um, you know, I mean, I know I look terribly young and everything, but it, you'll just have to take my word for it. It was, very, it was quite a long time before same-sex marriage was a possibility. So, um, so, so I thought, well, I can't get married. And, um, I, and I guess so. the only kind of could have done better aspect of that teaching, I suppose, was it didn't really have much of a space for long-term singleness. And I know that you're going to have another um, uh, sermon in this series on sharing life on singleness. So I'll leave that but for, you know, leave that hanging for that, for that session. So singleness, you know, the importance of being more positive about, about that. That was maybe something that I sort of could have done with a bit more, but I'm so grateful for the foundation that that teaching did give me. I went off to university in another city. <laughs> Awkward moment there. Navigated that one. Uh, I went off to university, and, I was, um, and, and when I was there, I started to become more open about my sexuality. I hadn't really told many people at school, um, because in those days, that was a, you know, not a sort of good idea. I'm, I have to say, uh, something I regard as really positive nowadays 
even though there would be things in our culture which I would be more, much more ambivalent about, something I do believe is positive is that much more you know, um, clear message in schools and environments like that that, uh, that, that if people are gay and are open about their sexuality, that they need to, to, be, need to be accepted as they are. And sort of, the, the sort of the clear message like my kids receive at school, I've got kids now, I'll get to that bit of the story in a minute, um, against homophobia. So I'm, I, you know, there's been lots of areas where I'm uncomfortable in cultural changes, but I don't think it's like just an unnuanced, everything's got terrible. I do think there's some areas which have got better. And I think, for example, being a gay teenager at school in many cases these days is easier and better, much better experience than it would have been if I'd been open at, at the time. So just to sort of comment on, on that. So anyway, I went to university and I did start being much more open about my sexuality um, there I was in the LGB society and I was in the Christian Union. Um, I was you know, involved in, in, in different things in church. I was in the worship band, wasn't very good, but I was in it. I was on the prayer ministry team but, and I was open about my sexuality. And I'm so grateful for the church and the Christians that were around me because they gave me two things which I think were really important. The first thing they gave me was when I shared about my sexuality, I'm gay, they gave me unconditional acceptance and affirmation. <laughs> Amen. They, they, they loved me just as I was. No one said to me, you need to change your sexuality or there's a bad, that's a bad thing for you or you can't be that and a Christian. People just accepted me as I was. And I'm so grateful for that. That's so important. At the same time in this environment, I mean, you know, I was involved in the Christian Union. Now, many of you will know um, that um, Christian unions at university are not generally hotbeds of radical liberal theology. Is that, amen, is that still true? I think it might still be true. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I was involved in Christian Union and, and so on, and um, an evangelical church, and, and, and yet I received that totally unconditional welcome and acceptance. At the same time, in this environment, at the same time, I was encouraged to delve into what the Bible says about sexuality, into Jesus' teaching, and, and to really to look at and study for myself what does the Bible actually say about, about this. You know, like they didn't try and water it down either, but they tried, you know, I, I remember one conversation with my college chaplain, for example, and, and, and she said to me, well, I think that sex is only for marriage, um, so I think if you are gay, kind of, you're not going to be able to, you know, have sex or have a long-term you know, romantic relationship, I don't think that will be possible for you, um, at least, you know, if nothing changes about how you feel, about your orientation. Um, she said, so that's clearly, that's where I'm coming from, but, she said, but don't take my word for it, check it out for yourself. Such wisdom in that approach, I believe. You know, she loved me and accepted me for, how, for who I was, didn't try and change me. She was open and honest and clear about where she was coming from, and that she thought that was what the Bible said. But she said, but check it out for yourself. Now, I was a theology undergraduate, which meant I had plenty of spare time. <laughs> and, so I, um, and so I did check it out for myself. I read the books. I read the different 
I looked at different points of view on the subject because then, as now, there were different points of view about, well, what does the Bible say? And I came to the conclusion that based on verses like the one that we had read this morning, verse 10, um, no, verse 9, um, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, I, I came to the conclusion that the Bible did not approve, unsurprisingly, on the basis of verses like that, of, of you know, same-sex sexual practice, in, even in kind of long-term committed loving re- relationships. That was the view that I, that I came to. Um, and, uh, you know, and indeed that it, it's quite challenging about them. I mean, it's interesting, the list that is there in the passage, this isn't what I thought at the time, but this is just kind of my little comment on it now. You know, it, it's important to say the Bible doesn't single out same-sex practice and then say, and look, this is kind of worse or more problematic than other issues. So, you know, it's here as one thing in a list. And so if there have been times, and I think there have been times in some Christians and churches, which have almost, if you like, singled it out for special attention of condemnation or judgment or whatever. I think that's, you know, that's unhelpful and that's not faithful to the Bible because the Bible here, at least, is, is putting it in the context of there's lots of things that human beings do that are disordered and turning away from the way God has made us and, and, and so on. So, you know, it, it's, it's one thing amongst many. And it may well be for you there were maybe a couple of things in that list that made you think, oh, you know, there's challenging. I mean, how many of us this morning might say greed is a struggle for us? I mean, you might not want to own up to being a swindler, for example, but greed, drunkards, I'm sure there's none of them here, especially not when the rugby's on. Uh, was it, or was it football? I don't really know about I mean, I, I definitely fit that stereotype. Um, slanderers. Do any of us, could, could any of us say, oh, I've never said anything untrue about somebody else? Of course we've done that. Yeah. Like, so, you know, we all get a, a, a bit of a challenge from passages like this, don't we? So it's, it, is, it is in the list of things, as it were, which are not okay for Christians but it's one thing amongst many in that list. Okay? So I think it just helps us to keep, us in, keep this particular one in proportion. So going back to my story, I was in this, uh, this Christian setting where I was loved and accepted just as I was, and at the same time, I was challenged to surrender my whole life to Christ and to really study for myself what the Bible says about this area. Okay? unconditional love and acceptance and challenge to surrender my life to Jesus, all the parts of my life for Jesus. Does that remind you of anyone? Yeah, does that remind you of any, like, unconditional love and acceptance and, you know, quite provocative challenge? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, like, because some churches are really good at doing the unconditional love and acceptance. We just want to love everyone just as they are and accept everyone just as they are. Amen to that. Other churches, sorry, again, to pick on, sorry, on this side, are really good at 
you know, laying it on the line and saying, well, this is what the Bible says and we've got to surrender our lives to, to Jesus. Now, the thing is, both of them are kind of right. But if they miss out on the other side, they're kind of wrong. Yeah? We, it's that, for me at least, in my experience, it was that combination of love and challenge which helped me. I believe that is, a, and I, in fact, I bet for you, if you think through in your life as a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, you will have also experienced that love and that challenge. And, and you will know that it's when those two things come together that it's powerful. Because if you just love people and you never say anything about how do you live your life, how is anyone going to grow and change? And the gospel is not just God loves you just as you are although it starts with God loves you just as you are. But the gospel is also God loves you as you are, but he loves you so much that he wants to set you free. He doesn't just leave you as you are. That would be unloving if God just left us as we are. So you know, that, that is important, but, but, but on, on its own, it's got to be added, the challenge has got to be added. But at the same time, if you just challenge people, if they don't know that you love them, if it's not coming from a place of, because I love you so much and I want what's best for you, then it's never going to connect with, with real people, with real lives, is it? We, we all need to know and to feel that, that we're loved and accepted. So for me, that was, that was, the, that was the, the challenge, and, that was, and I believe it was so helpful following Jesus' model, following the way that Jesus lived his life, of loving and accepting everyone and of challenging the people. I mean, have you noticed that about Jesus? That on the one hand, he lived the life of irreproachable moral purity. He was pure. At the same time, people who were supposedly sinners and outcasts were drawn to him like a magnet. Isn't that interesting about Jesus? That his purity didn't put people off, it actually attracted them. So, you know, he lo- because he loved them. So Jesus showed people that unconditional love and acceptance. And yet, I'm going to use a technical theological term, have you noticed that Jesus was gobby? Yeah, he, was, he had a mouth on him. Am I right? Yeah? Jesus... Jesus Laid it on night, who's very challenging as, as well. So that powerful combination that we all need in our lives, that was what helped me so much. So I carried on living as a single person. I didn't seek a same-sex relationship. I wasn't attracted to women. Uh, so I like, wasn't an option to look for a relationship with a woman. Um, and I remained single. And I would say, on the whole, I found the church to be a really loving and nurturing and supportive place for the way that I was living my life. Far from, sometimes people say, well, the church is homophobic, the church is rejecting gay people. For me, the church was my safe place because that was the place that was helping me to live my life the way I believed God wanted me to live. It was People were encouraging me and alongside me in that, in that area. The only, again, the only thing that I think 
I would, if I was to, you know, if I could change it, the only thing I would love to have Im see improved would have been really how could have my, the, those around me, how could have the churches I was in been more positive and intentional about singleness as a godly and a good way of life, challenging way of life, but a good way of life. So again, I think, have, you know, the session you're going to have on that, I think is really valuable in terms of thinking, how do we as a church value singleness? How do we support one another and those who are single and, and so on? So, uh, so that was how I was living my, my life. And I thought that was going to be how I would carry on. I thought, right, I know how my life is going to pan out now. Have you heard the joke? I think it's Woody Allen says, how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I'm just going to say single. I mean, that would be challenging at times, but I've got these lovely friends around me who are supporting me. And so that's going to be how my life will, will carry on. Now, this verse wasn't particularly what spoke to me at this time, but I think it's interesting that after Paul lists these different issues, he then says in verse 11, but. Isn't it good that the Bible says but sometimes? You know? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Like I said, God loves us just as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us as we are. That, as he says in verse 11, that is what some of you were. Now, I'm now married to a woman. Now, that, I, did, I did manage to give someone the wrong impression on that one once, so just so, you know, just so you understand. I'm married to a woman now. Her name is Gabby, and we've got kids. Um, and so what happened? What changed? What, that is what I was. What has happened in my life since then? And this is really where we get to the heart of this question of identity and sexuality. You see, I thought, well, I'm gay. That's who I am, and therefore... I'm not going to be able to get married. No wonder people, many gay people today feel marginalised by the church because it's like, well, I'm gay. This is the category that I belong to. But the church is, as it were, saying that if you want to get married, have sex, have kids, you, that's only available within opposite-sex marriage. But our society says, but if you're gay, you can't possibly enter into opposite-sex marriage. And so, effectively, gay people feel excluded from this lovely institution. And quite rightly, the church praises you know, marriage and says the good, you know, celebrates the good things about marriage. Um, but, but, but therefore, gay people often feel excluded from, from that. It's important to note that that is not simply come about because the church has stuck to its guns on what marriage is and, that, and what sex is for. The other reason that that has come about is because of this much more recent phenomenon of your sexuality defines who you are. That if you're gay, you're, you are in that category and that is who you are. And that's what had happened to me. So I thought, well, I'm gay. That's who I am. I'm just going to carry on being gay. You know, I did pray a couple of times, Lord, please change my sexuality if you want to change my sexuality, and it didn't happen. I, you see, I thought that if, my, that, that if I was going to change, that my feelings would change, and therefore my identity would change, and therefore, potentially at least, the way I lived my life would be able to change. Okay? Note the order. Feelings 
identity way of life. Now, if you just think for a moment how you have experienced God at work in your life, you may notice that that is not in fact the way round it normally happens. Okay? Feelings, identity, way of life. And what happened to me was over time, I'd prayed, Lord, change my feelings, and nothing had really happened. Over time, I felt God challenging me about my identity. The fact that I had identified myself, well, I'm gay, this is who I am, I'm not going to be able to change my, uh, my identity unless God first changes my, my feelings. And if anything, actually nowadays, I'm quite nervous, I'd actually be quite um, uh, cautionary against attempts to change feelings because I think so many gay people really struggle to feel accepted by themselves, by society, by the church, actually doing, saying, oh, so you need to change this major part of how you feel, almost tends towards exacerbating any feelings of, you know, sort of not, not you know, struggling to accept yourself. So if, if any, if, when I'm supporting gay Christians to these days, I, if anything, I work on the opposite. I, like, encourage them to go on that journey of really knowing that God accepts them just as they are and really getting the foundation of that solid um, I think that's actually the priority. Um, so, you know, I, that I, I felt, but I felt God challenging me, not on my feelings, which I couldn't do really much about. I mean, I could do something about how I responded to my feelings, but the pattern of my feelings was not something I had chosen. That was just there. Um, but actually about my identity. I felt God encouraging me and challenging me over time to lay down my identity as a gay person. And I was like, well... Huh. All right, if you insist, but like, I'll kind of like still be gay. You know, I'll still, I like, I might not call myself gay, but I'll still be attracted to guys. That won't, how will changing the way that I label myself, how will that change the way I feel? Well, let me give you a parallel. Put your hand up if you're a sinner. Put your hand up if you would say you're a sinner. That's an interesting response. Okay. Did you know that the New Testament never refers to Christians as sinners. Not once. Your identity, you are not a sinner in the sense of your identity. How does the New Testament refer to Christians? As saints. Saints. In, indeed, even in Corinth, where there was all kinds going on, as you've probably heard in this series, he opens his letter, 1 Corinthians 1, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are sanctified, called to be his holy people, in older language, to the saints in Corinth, to the holy ones in Corinth. How many of you know they weren't that holy? That's not his point. The point is, holiness is their identity, not primarily what they do. I thought it was feelings, identity, way of life. But the way God works with us is, he actually starts to change us first at the level of identity. You're not a sinner you're a saint. 
You have a new identity. How many of you feel like saints all the time? We don't, do we? It's not, that's not realistic. We often feel like sinners, but that doesn't change our fundamental identity, which is that we are saints. That is, fun, that is secure. And it's over time as we accept that identity and walk in that identity that our feelings start to come into line. I admit, slowly, our feelings start to come into line and then our way of life starts to change. Okay, it's the order in which it happens. New identity, feelings start to change and come into line, way of life starts to change. So that was kind of, to cut a long story short, what happened to me over time. I laid down my identity. Okay, I'm not going to identify myself in that way anymore. And then I did experience some level of change in my feelings. It wasn't a total change. It was not like I went from like fancying loads of blokes, you know, to fancying loads of women. Because that wouldn't have been sanctification either, would it? You know, lust is lust. You know, lust is wrong, whether it's blokes or women that are the object of that. You know, that, you know so, and, and that wasn't how, I didn't experience like a 180 degree change, I, but I did experience a, some level of shift. It was almost as, as, as I let go of that being my identity and became more open to other, other things being possible. And I did exper- experience that change. And, you know, over time got to know Gabby and, and, and fell in love with her. So how do I want you to respond to my story and to this passage? Well, I've already mentioned wisdom, the need for us all for wisdom. I've mentioned that dynamic, that tension of unconditional love and acceptance, but challenge and encouraging people to engage with the Bible for themselves, not watering it down. And I think the final point that I'm simply making is and this is true for all of us, whatever our sexualities, whatever our identities, don't hold on to your identity too tightly. It might be that your identity is gay or bi. It might be that your identity is straight, but you could hold on to that too tightly as well. Oh, well, I'm glad I don't have those issues. You know, we've all got got stuff we need to let, let go of, haven't we? And of course, that's exactly what gives us that sense of compassion and acceptance when we meet other people who've got stuff to to let go of. Let's end with a moment of prayer, and then I think we're going to sing and then see what else might happen in terms of our response. Let's stand, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are here in this place with that wonderful combination of love, and acceptance with challenge. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that each of us are welcomed and accepted just as we are by you because of what you've done for us on the cross. And we pray that whether we need to hear that love and that welcome afresh this morning or whether we need to hear that challenge or it may be that some of us, you're calling us afresh to let go of some of our identities today. Lord, would you speak to us again this morning to do that? Lord, we give you that invitation, that 
that uh, welcome to, to speak to us. Thank you, Lord.